We've been in a, in a sermon series on the church for the last, this is week five, talking about what the church is. So the, the title of um, this, uh, this whole series has just been, the church is dot, 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 and every sermon has tried to fill in that blank in a, in a slightly different way. So I just want to recap some of the messages and some of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks. Um, our, our first week, the church is... What we said is it's the love of Christ on display. John 13, Jesus says, um, By your love for one another, one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. And so the way we love each other, um, the way that Jesus loved us, we love each other. That displays who he is. And so the church is the love of Christ on display. Second week, we talked about how the church is a people. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not an event that you come to on a weekend. Uh, it's not a, a show that we put on. Um, none of those things. The, the church is a people. So whether we, whether we had a, a stage and musicians and, and like organized preaching like this or not doesn't diminish the fact that we are a church. The people are the church. It's not the, not the building or organization are all those things. It's, it's we, the, the people, are the church. What we talked about that week in particular was this is a local expression. This gathering of people is a local expression of a global reality. We looked at the book of Revelation of where, where this thing called church is headed. So where it's headed is around the throne of the king. And there's going to be people from every nation, tribe, tongue, language represented who are one big family and who are declaring how great our God is. That's where it's headed. So what we're doing now is practicing for eternity. All right. So a local expression of a global reality. We are a people. Thirdly, um, the church is God's mission to multiply. All right. in, in the original creation, God made Adam and Eve, and one of the first things He told them to do was be fruitful and what? Multi- that you can answer. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, in the new creation, when Jesus died on the cross and brought to Himself a new people in new creation, He, in essence, said the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. When He said, all authority has been given to Me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. What he's saying there is be fruitful and multiply. And how does he intend to accomplish it? Through the church. Through God's people. So we are God's mission to multiply, to make disciples. And then last week, um, we sort of took a little sidebar, but uh, in the same vein, I felt like it was necessary. If we say we're going to make disciples, that that's our goal, then we, we took a week last week and we said, what is a disciple? We talked about how Jesus defines a disciple as a, as a follower of Christ who has turned from his sin, trusted in Jesus as Savior, and is being transformed from the inside out. So last week we spent some time just talking about who we are as individuals, as followers, and how we are a collective of followers, disciples of Jesus. So this week we're going to pick up on that, piggyback on what this collective looks like. And what we need to say today is that the church is a covenant community. The church is a covenant community. 
What I mean by that, and, and we're going to use a, a term that you'll be familiar with, even though it's a bit jaded. We're going to use this term of membership to, to talk through this. But a covenant community, we're a people who identify with one another. We're committed to one another. We're going to be here for each other, no matter how hard it gets. That's what I'm talking about. A group of people who are dependable and who are uh, going to war together. Maybe imagine in your mind uh, a military platoon or a battalion of some kind that this group of people have been brought together. They're a part of a, a larger whole. You know, maybe they're the army, but within that, they're like the 83rd Division or whatever they are. And so that's the local expression of a greater reality. But this platoon, they're dedicated and committed to one another. And they have roles. They know what each of them are responsible for. To do so, that's just a metaphor, uh, but there are there are many metaphors in the scriptures actually for the church, and I just want us to look at three of them as we find them in Ephesians chapter two. So we're going to look at this passage and many others together. I know you just sat down and probably just got comfortable, but one thing we do at Mountain View is we want to honor God's word. So if you will just stand with me as we read from Ephesians chapter two. <clears throat> We're going to pick up in verse 11. So find your place there, Ephesians 2, 11. And uh, just to give you some backstory, the first 10 verses are all about you as an individual Christian. How you, because of Jesus, have gone from death to life. Verse 1 of this chapter starts out with, by saying, um, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Then verse 4 says, you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. That's... How salvation happens for you as an individual. But what was happening on a bigger scale is what we see in the following verses. So look in verse 11 with me. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, now, now that, that expression is a parallel on a corporate level of what was said in verse 4 up in the chapter. In verse 4, but now, but God being rich in mercy, that's the individual thing. Here's what God did for you individually. And then down here in verse um, 13, it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's good news, right? We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So peace to the Gentile and peace to the Jew. For through Him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to be our teacher. Lord, soften our hearts to the truth of the Scripture. and Help us to walk in obedience as a covenant community. A group of people who love each other radically and who live for the hope um, to take the hope of the gospel to the world. Lord, help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. All right, so there's three metaphors in this passage, and I just want to talk through those very quickly, um, and then I want to get to, I've got ten, reason why, ten reasons why membership, quote, membership matters, and I'll explain that in a moment. But three metaphors from this text. Did you see them? If you have your pen or pencil, I want you to circle or underline these expressions toward the end of the text. We've got three specific metaphors. In verse 16, it says that Jesus might reconcile us both, talking about the Jew and the Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. So circle that word body or underline the word body. That's a metaphor. All right, and then down, down the line here, you've got verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God. You circle or underline that and write out beside it, family. That's what the understanding of the word household is. It's the understanding of family, that the church is a family. All right, and then the third metaphor we're going to talk about is right here at the bottom, verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple. So the three metaphors, if you've got one of the teaching outlines, uh, which I hope you do, here they are. The church as a body, and there's some other scriptures about that. And then the church as a family, and then the church as temple. So one of the things I want to say to us is that these metaphors, they don't really tell us what to do. They tell us who we are. And then out of that, it, it shapes how we live, right? These are, these are not like imperative commands. You know, if the Scripture said, if it was spelled out in the Bible uh, about church membership, quote, membership, if it was spelled out, go join a local church, that would probably be one of those things that we just kind of walk in, we get our name on a roll and check that box and we're good to go. The Bible doesn't do that. If you're looking in the Scriptures for a command that says go join a local church, you won't find it. It's not there. But what we do find is the implication all through the New Testament that we as a people are meant to be in a covenant relationship, not only with God as our Father, but with one another as brothers and sisters. And that's not just on a universal spectrum. Locally, we're given commands over and over and over again that we're unable to obey Outside of a local expression of the church. So here's the crazy thing is the Bible knows our hearts well enough to know that if it just gave us a checkbox, that's what we would do. But instead it gives us these metaphors, these pictures for how we're meant to live so that we're able to, we need to line our lives up to see how well 
they mirror these metaphors. How well do, as a, as a member of this church, am I a good body part? As a member of this church, am I a, um, a good member of the family? Like, am I doing the things I'm responsible for as a member of this family? As a member of this church, am I a, an important uh, building block of the temple of God? Like the scriptures say that Jesus is the cornerstone, but we are living stones being stacked one on, one on the other, piecing together this place in which, this people in which God dwells. So am I, am I a brick, a part of this piece, or am I just a brick over there? So we have these metaphors that help us to see vivid imagery of how well we are obeying Christ in being part of a covenant community. Let's just talk through those metaphors just a little bit. Um, the church as body. And there's a lot of scripture I gave you that you can read um, extra. In 1 Corinthians 12 in particular, um, Paul gives a, a lot of illustration. He talks about um, should the hand say that because it's not an eye that it's not important? Or should the eye say that because it's not a foot that it doesn't matter? And you have all this illustration about these different body parts. And the, the point of the metaphor is to say that the, the body is one, and yet it has many individual pieces. So we are unified in, in who we are, and yet we are individual in what we do in the body. The body parts are only healthy and useful if they're committed and connected. That's just the reality. Like if you cut my hand off and put it in the next room with the kids, it's not going to do me any good. If my hand is not committed to the rest of my body, then it's not doing me any good. And that's the point that Paul's making here is that every member of the body is essential and must be connected, intimately connected and committed. Um, we used an illustration weeks ago when we were talking about this theme. I, I told you about when I opened the, opened the truck, I got out of the truck at a friend of mine's house and I stepped down right into a hole. You guys remember this illustration? I stepped into a hole and my ankle just snapped, uh, broke, broke a bone in my ankle. Well, uh, my hand is way up here, really far away from my ankle. And yet my hands rushed as quickly as they could to do something about my ankle. I remember I told you that my mouth is not related at all to my ankle. And yet my mouth said all kinds of words when that bone broke. Um, because our body is intricately connected. It's meant to work together. It's, it's got a function in, as one and yet independently unique. And so think of yourself as a member of the body. Are you, are you functioning as a unique piece that meets a need for this whole one unit? That's the point of this illustration. Also, this metaphor leaves no room for pity. That's part of what Paul writes about. He says, you know, don't say that just because you're a, a hand and not a foot that you're not important. Don't, don't self-pity. God made you who you are because the body needs you. And also, there's no room for pride. So there's no room for pity, but there's no room for pride. That just because you're the mouth, or I'm the mouth today, I get to teach, doesn't make me any more important than you, the ears. What good is the mouth with no ears, Right? There's no room for pride in this body. We each need each other and we are all valuable. That's the point of the metaphor. The second one, the church as family. I'll be quick here. Um, so 
you have a concept of family. We all do. Um, in my family, I'm, I'm a husband first to my wife. Uh, we celebrate this last Thursday, actually, was our 10-year wedding anniversary. Bravo. Um, so she's, she stuck it out with me for 10 years. And we leave tomorrow on a little trip together, and I'm excited about that. Um, but I'm a husband to my wife, and that role of husband has a lot of responsibility. Um, it has expectations. She reminds me of those quite a bit. Uh, she, you know, if I'm not meeting those expectations, she, she'll tell me, hey, you know, you're supposed to, and, and she lets me know. That, that role comes with expectations. I signed up for that. Remember? I stood there. I vow to you. Da-da-da-da-da. She's added to that list, but uh, I made some commitments and I signed up for expectations, right? My role as husband comes with responsibility. So does my role as daddy. I've got three beautiful little girls and they have expectations of daddy. And they let me know all the time if I've got my face in my phone too much or if I'm not giving them enough attention. My little one now, right now, she says, she's trying to get my, daddy, turn your head. Turn your head. That's the way she says it. Cracks me up. Turn your head. Okay. And she wants my attention. Daddy comes with expectations. So here's the thing. What's your role in this family? What is your role in this family? And what are those expectations and are you living up to them? These are the metaphors that help paint a picture for you. For us, that's not just a checkbox. It's not just like, well, I put my name on the roll. No, no. You're a part of a family. And what does that look like for you? The third metaphor we have is the church as temple. Paul calls the church temple in Ephesians 2, also in 1 Corinthians 3, um, and, and several other places. 1 Peter chapter 2, um, Peter says that Christ is the cornerstone. We are living stones of a holy temple. What that means is that God, in a unique kind of way, Let's His Spirit be made manifest in a corporate gathering of the body of Christ. It's a unique thing. Now, make no mistake. The Spirit of the Lord lives and dwells in every believer. Your body, 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us that your body, and this is radical, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So when we gather together corporately, there's something amazing that happens as these living stones are stacked in separately on top of one another, we become a force to be reckoned with by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Does that make sense? So as the temple of God is being built, living stones, here's the metaphor, if you're a living stone intended for the temple of God, you've got to be mortared together with other stones in order for this thing to matter. And what is the mortar? It's love devotion, it's commitment. It's all those things that make us, us. So we're a temple. These are three metaphors that we see in Ephesians 2 that I hope help paint a picture for you, that help, um, help us get a, get a hold on what it means to be a member of a local church. Now, just to be clear, that word member, like I said a moment ago, is not in the Bible the way we think of it. Like, uh, like you're a member at Sam's Club or you're a member at Costco or you're a member at whatever. That's not a biblical concept. It's not. So the idea that you should join a church and be a member in that way is not legitimate. 
What's legitimate is even deeper. That you're to join a family. You're to be a member of a body. A member of a family. A member and a part, a unique piece, puzzle piece in the temple of God. It's much deeper than just getting your name on a roll, right? Much, much deeper. So what does it mean with that biblical understanding to be a member? Why does membership even matter? Well, let's talk about... There's more, but I gave you ten reasons, okay? So we're going to go through these. I'm going to try to do these 90 seconds apiece, all right? So here we go. Reasons why membership matters. First, membership is biblical. It's biblical. Again, not like Sam's Club or Costco, but like we just outlined. You're a member of a body. And the, the global expression that we will experience one day in eternity Jesus has given us a local expression to get a a, a glimpse, a portrait of what it's going to be like. It's a shadow. This is a shadow of a greater reality, but but it's no less important. When Jesus established the, the church in the New Testament, he established the church as a local church. And then all through the New Testament, we read books written to The church in Ephesus, that's what Ephesians is. We read to the church in Galatia, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Colossae. These books are written to local expressions of a global reality. It's biblical that we are a local church committed to one another as a body, as a family, as a temple. It's biblical. Number two, the church is its people. Here's the thing. Without you, who are we? The church is its people. I need you. You need me. We are committed. We must. We need to commit to one another. We are. We are. It's people. We're not a building, a place, organization. Certainly not an event that you come to. So this place is not the church. You are the church. We are the church of God. So when we look through the the New Testament, you find places like Romans chapter sixteen, verse five where Paul is um, finishing up a long letter and he says, um, tell the church that meets in so-and-so's house that I said, hey, isn't that crazy? See, that little phrase, that one little verse reminds us that the church doesn't have to have a building. It It could meet in a living room. It could meet under a shade tree. The church is the people. But it must be the people. And that's the reason you are needed and I am needed. We are part of a body. Number three, membership is the church's public endorsement of salvation. I don't don't want to rattle your cage too much, but here's what I do want to say. All through the New Testament, um, following Jesus is a public thing. And the people of God endorse each other's testimony. Let me give you one example. When Saul was rescued, uh, not King Saul, but Saul in the New Testament, he's the one who wrote most of the New Testament. We call him the Apostle Paul. But when he was Saul, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocked him off his horse. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All of that. And then Saul gave his life to Christ. Well, Saul went to the church to tell him what happened. You know what happened? The church was like scared of him. Why? Because he'd been killing them. And they didn't trust his testimony. Then comes Barnabas. Oh, faithful Barnabas. 
Barnabas comes in and goes, no, no, this man has really met with Jesus. Jesus has changed his life. He's now a follower of Christ. We can trust him. We can let him into our group because he has followed Jesus. He's a disciple. And Barnabas affirms Paul's salvation. And that pattern happens all through the New Testament. You find where um, people are being saved and baptized radically and and. Paul and Barnabas come back to the church and they go, it's amazing, guys. The Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit in the same way that we did. They're being saved. And the church is affirming the salvation of its people. Does that make sense? It happens all through the New Testament. So here's what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is if you're not a member of a church, it doesn't mean you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when the church receives you in as a part of the family, a part of the body, and says you are a member of this church. It's the church saying, we believe as much as we can tell that this person is a follower of Christ. It's affirmation of your salvation. Number four, the local church is the family with whom you declare your highest allegiance. Um... I want to thank Paul for this one, the conversation he and I have been having about membership. And, and uh, you know, he encouraged me with this truth. And so I just want to share this with you, that your highest allegiance is not to the local church. Um, a lot of our comprehension of church membership is, is um, tainted because we don't have the purity factor of persecution in the West like the church all over the world does. The church all over the world, uh, it's a threat to your life if you're a Christian. And if you say you're a member of a church, it's going to mean serious persecution. Well, what does that do? Well, it thins out the crowd of people who say they're members of churches. That's what it does. And it means that if you're willing to say you're a member of a church, you're willing to say I'm a follower of Christ, you know the cost. Like it could cost you your life. And because of that... It brings purity to the testimony. That's just the reality. But in the West, church is a cultural thing that people just go to, right? I mean, it's like on Sunday, what are we going to Oh, let's go to church. We've lived like hell all week, but let's go to church, <laughs> right? Not so in other places of the world. You don't, you don't do that in other places of the world because your life's at risk. Here's the thing I want to say to you is that the church is the people with whom we declare our highest allegiance. So here's what we mean. It's in this setting that we raise our arms and we sing, Jesus Christ, you're my living hope. And we give testimony to our faith because out in the world, that may cost you your life. So this is a practice. This is a rehearsal um, for a declaration of a higher allegiance. If, if somebody's standing with you with a gun pointed at you and they say, are you a Christian? You're not going to say, I'm a member of Mountain View Church. That doesn't matter. You're going to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's in this setting and with this family that you've developed the boldness to make that declaration. You make that declaration in your baptism. You make that declaration every time we come to the Lord's table. And you say, this blood, is, this juice is the, the, the new covenant that Jesus made with me through His blood. This bread is the new covenant of His broken body. 
And I remember Him. I celebrate Him and declare His death and resurrection. That's what we do together. It's a declaration of our highest allegiance. Number five, membership is how you experience the body, the family, and the temple in real life. We've just talked about all these metaphors, so I'm not going to elaborate on this, but they're just metaphors if you don't have a local church to live it out. That makes sense? So what does it mean to be a family member? What does it mean to be a part of the body or a brick of the temple? Apart from that expression, they're just metaphors that live out in imaginary land. But with this expression, you can actually put, put some real life to that. Number six, the local church is how you love and serve one another. The local church is how you love and serve one another. All through the Scriptures, we're given 70 plus commands of how to treat one another. I'll just give you a few. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3.13. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. Forgive one another. Um, Yesterday I was reminded of why my commitment... How my commitment impacts my one anothering in a, in a slightly different setting. Um, so I took my girls down to the neighborhood, the, the, my neighbor's pool yesterday, and we were swimming and all that. Uh, Lauren's putting sunscreen on us before we went down there, and um, she's spraying me, and she's like, hey, you need to take that watch off. I don't want to spray your watch, Apple watch, you know. So I took it off and handed it to her. She's spraying me, and I'm getting all sprayed. And then we go down, we do our swim, and she calls me about 10 minutes, and she's like, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, I put your watch on the counter, and then I bumped it, and it hit the tile floor and shattered. And uh, I was like, like, shattered. <laughs> and she was like, shattered. And I was like, mm, Okay. Why didn't you put it on its charger? You know, and like inside of me, he's like, why didn't you put it on its charger? You know, but uh, I was like, why didn't you put it back on the charger and all that? And so um, anyway, later she comes down there. She brings lunch down there to us. Sorry about your watch. And I was like, yeah, me too. Um, so the, why do you we say, why don't you bring this up? Well, here's the thing. And I even told her this. Like I told her, I was like, right now, I really want to be super angry with you. Even though I know it was an accident, like I know you wouldn't like throw my watch on the floor, would you? Uh, but I know you wouldn't do that, right? And so, but inside my heart, like I really want to be angry about this. And I said, but you know what? I'm resolved right now to push down anger because of my commitment to you. You guys see how this plays out? In the church, it shouldn't be much different. Like we should be resolved to love one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to do life with one another because we have a kind of commitment that's not just, it's deep, y'all. This is an eternity kind of commitment. So this is how we love and serve one another through the church. Number seven, the local church establishes leadership. I want us to take just a moment here um, with some scripture. 
Because I want you to feel the weight of this, okay? In the church, there is leadership. I don't know if you know the statistics, but um, fatherless homes, did you know that I think it's 94% of young men that are incarcerated? 94%. I was looking for Ann Bradshaw. 94% of young men that are in jail come from fatherless homes. Did you know that? That's too high a percentage to say that it wasn't a factor. Does that make sense? So where there's an absence of healthy leadership, it's felt. It's, 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 it's really noticed. Well, the Lord knew that. And so when He set up His church, He did establish leadership. Make no mistake, He did. And He established a plurality of leadership. And we'll, I'll teach on that in the future about why we have elders here, why I'm not the only elder, I'm not the only guy who's making decisions and leading in this church. We have a body of elders that do that together. And we don't, there's not one person that's just driving everything, okay? We'll teach on that in the future. But I want you to see in the book of Acts, like go to Acts chapter 20 with me. I want you to see the weight that the Lord puts on leadership in the church. Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. Now Paul is writing to the elders in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. He's writing to their leaders. And look at what he says in Acts 20, 28. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now wait a minute. Pay careful attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's a specific flock, right? There's a specific... The flock is a, is a metaphor of like a shepherd over his sheep. There are specific numbered sheep that know they're a part of the flock. So just pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers... To care for the church of God. And then here's the stamp of like the weight that rests on me and on leaders in the church. Here it is. Which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul says, hey, keep watch over the flock that Jesus bought with his blood. No big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Like the church are the people that Jesus bought with his own blood. Now you, leader, keep watch over them. Be a, be a good overseer, a good shepherd over the flock of God. Over the flock that He's given you oversight. So let's just make a mention here that a, a pastor elder is not a pastor over the global church. It's a local expression, right? It's a set number of sheep, a set, a set flock that, that He's to, to, to have leadership over. What about, what about you as a, as a sheep, as a member of a church? Are you supposed to submit to the leadership and the, and the oversight of every pastor everywhere? No, absolutely not. Let's look at Hebrews 13. I want you to see, see this text. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer of Hebrews now is talking to the church that's been scattered, but now they've, they've got overseers. And here's what he says. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
So from both perspectives of leadership, being whether you're an elder pastor or whether you're a, a member in the body, leadership is defined, it, it gets its boundaries from the local church expression. So here's why membership, this is why it matters, is because if you're a part of this local church, then you're, you're responsible to the, the leaders of this church. And if you're a leader or pastor over this church, you're responsible for those whom you shepherd. Like you're going to be held accountable for them. This is why membership in the body and commitment, a covenant community, matters. We need to move quickly. Number eight, the local church provides real accountability and discipline. Here's the thing. Um, If you're in a family and you go off the rails, somebody's going to call you to account on it, right? Um, I have three little children and they're much of my day as a dad is comprised with keeping those kids on the rails. They're off the rails all the time. Get back on the rail, right? And sometimes that comes through discipline. Sometimes. But my intent as a dad, as a father, and our intent with each other, accountability and discipline, is to keep us healthy. Keep us walking the path that God's set out for us. And I need you as much as you need me. We need each other for that. Real accountability. So the church is meant to be a place that is, I want you to hear this phrase, safe but not comfortable. Hear hear me out on that. Gospel community, a covenant community is meant to be a place that is safe but not comfortable. Here's what I mean. You need to feel safe enough to be you. Take off all the masks. Let all your let all your junk out there for us to see. You need to be safe enough to be you, but not comfortable to stay that way. Because our role in a family is to push each other toward the standard of Christ. And none of us are there yet. So we need each other to move toward maturity. Safe, but not comfortable. Number nine, local church commitment gives regularity and routine to your Christian life. Regularity and routine. Probably not something I've preached, but... Uh, before, But here, I want to say this. If you are a regular at your local gym, I'm probably going to notice. Because regular routine will impact your life. However, if you're a regular at McDonald's, I might notice. <laughs> you know, Big Macs have a tendency to leave an impression. So, here's the thing. If you are a regular in the house of God, Gathering regularly with the people of God. You may not sense or feel the impact immediately, but I'm telling you, over time, it matters whether or not you're here, whether or not we're, we're gathering together. We follow the biblical example when it says they, they met in each other's homes day by day. They went together. They gathered together. We follow that example, and it matters. The routine matters. I know far too many Christian families, Christian families who wake up on Sunday deciding whether or not they're going to go to church. Don't let that be the case in your home. Like, it's, it's, it's not what we do, it's who we are. Right? We're, we're going to go be with our people. It's who we are. Don't let Sunday morning be your decision-making time of whether or not to be a part of the body of Christ. Be a part. Number 10, the local church exists for global gospel impact. So just want to wrap up here. 
Um, God has put us together to make disciples of all nations. So locally, we're displaying um, the rule and reign of King Jesus. He's king in our lives. And we're putting that on display locally in, in, in how we live and how we work, how we play, all the things that we do, we put that on display. But we simultaneously are um, praying for the nations. Next Sunday at 9.30, I want you to come and pray for Lebanon. Pray with our missionary, Chris Todd, as we support him. We, we pray for the nations. We give to missionaries. This church, you guys, we just don't, you don't even know how much money every month we give to people who are front lines with the gospel. It's amazing. And I, and I commend you on your generosity. And I commend our elders. This was in place long before I got here. That this church exists for the gospel around the world. And so we are a giving kind of church. We anyway, um, we, we go to support local missionaries. We send some of our own to become missionaries to the ends of the earth. Why do we do that? Because Jesus is worthy of the worship of all peoples, right? The end in sight. In Revelation, there's a day we're going to gather around His throne. So, um, those are ten reasons. Last week I had somebody call me and say, Hey, I want to be a member of Mountain View Church. How do I do that? What, what does that look like? So I just want to answer that phone call with you. Here's what it looks like. How do I become a member of Mountain View Church? Well, um, a, a good place to start would be to take this little card and put your name on it, put some information on there, and then right here it says, I want to become a member at NVC. Now, this is not the way you have to do it. You could just call me or call one of our elders or text one of us and say, Hey, I'm, I'm loving what God's doing at Mountain View. I want to be a part of that. And if you want to, you express interest... And, and we will pursue it from there, okay? So we're not going to come chasing you. We want to be a place where anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. But there's, there's this idea of being a part, becoming a part. When you decide you want to become a part of the family and be a member of the body, here's what that looks like. We want to meet with you maybe over coffee or lunch. We want to hear your story about how you came to faith in Jesus. We want to hear about your journey. What's God been doing in your life, you know? All those kinds of things. We want to hear your story and then we want you to hear our story. You need to know more about Mountain View than what you can learn on a Sunday morning in an hour's teaching, okay? You need to know who we are, what we believe, why we exist, what we aim to do in the world, which is make disciples, and how we intend to do that with you. You need to know what's expected of you as a member of this family. So just to walk through that quickly. ACTS. We have really four simple expectations of a family member. We expect, um, we want to make disciples, right? So in order to do that, here's what we expect. We expect you to attend worship gatherings regularly. We expect you to commit to a small group, some kind of relationship. We want to get, get you in with people, to knowing people and being known by them. We expect you to tithe. We chose that word hesitantly because it's not a law. It's not a rule that you do 10% necessarily. But it's a good starting point. It's a good biblical kind of standard to give. That's a good starting point. The tithe. And then S. Serve. God has made you a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear. And some way He intends for you to plug in and use who you are for the body. 
Attend worship gatherings, commit to a small group, give, tithe, and serve. ACTS. That's what's expected of a, of a member of this body. So after talking all that out, if you're like, I'm all in, I'm, I'm ready to commit. Well, then we want the people to know who's a part of us. So at some point, maybe a couple of times a year, we're going to bring you up here in front of them and say, hey, this is John. And John uh, is wanting to commit to this body of Christ. And this is Susie. And Susie's all in with Jesus. And she wants to be all in with us. It's very simple. But we just want the church to know who is the church. Right? Very simple. So two questions I have for you. Number one. 1 Peter 2 says, um, you are living stones being shaped into a temple. Then it says this in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So the questions I have to ask you are this. Have you received the mercy of Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Like, have you come to Him and said... Um, I, I want to put all my faith in what you've done on the cross to save me from my sin. It's not about me trying any harder. It's about me trusting you deeper. So have you done that? And then have you followed him in baptism? Have you declared to the people, the world, that you are a follower of Christ in his death and resurrection? Have you been baptized? If, if not, why not? What's stopping you from giving your life to Christ and making that declaration through baptism? And the second question I want to ask you is, are you committed to the local church? Are you a covenant community member of a local expression of the church? And if you're not, why not? What's stopping you? Why not? So today I want to ask you if, there, if you can find one of these cards and... You put your name and your information on there. Maybe you just say, hey, I'd like to hear more about this whole thing and what Mountain View is. There's a little spot there for you to check. And all you got to do is, you know, put that in one of the baskets on the way out. You can hand it to me if you'd like. And I'll just follow up with you in a relationally kind of way. I'm not going to send you an email necessarily. We're going to get together with you and get to know you, okay? But I want to encourage you to respond in two ways. One, if you need the gospel, if you need to be saved, like... Let's talk about that. I want you to give your life to Jesus. And if you need to, you want to commit to Christ and to His church, and do that today. Like, let's begin that process today.